The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast. Please remember to subscribe, whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us wherever you listen to podcasts across the Big Blue View radio network. All right, Giants fans, I thought that today... Being Monday, two days before the Giants start 2023 training camp, I thought we would go through some of the potential storylines for the Giants as they open training camp. And here to help me do that today is Big Blue Views, Tony Delgenio. Tony, how you been? How's your summer going? How's everything? My summer's been pretty good so far, Ed, and uh, I'm doing great. It's almost football season, so how could I not be doing well? <laughs> There you go. Just a couple more days and uh, we've made it through another off season. So, uh, you, so, so here we go. Giants fans. We'll see if uh, the Giants can, can repeat their success from 2022. See if they can build on that as uh, Brian Dable and Joe Shane head into their, their second seasons as primary Giants decision makers so let's uh, let's talk about some of the storylines here heading into uh, 2023 training camp. And obviously the biggest storyline, the one everybody's going to talk about for the next month is Saquon Barkley and his holdout. We know he's not going to be there. And Tony, I'm just going to preface before I ask you to jump in and come and I'm going to preface. I've talked to Patty Trena. I had Ralph Facciano on the show. I've written it, and to be honest with you, I think the holdout is a bigger deal for fans and a bigger deal for media than it's going to be for players. Players are going to get annoyed by listening to and having to answer Barkley questions for the next month, but I honestly don't think this is a big deal for the Giants as a team and for the players in the locker room. I don't think it's a big deal until he – until or unless he doesn't show up for week one. I think players get the business side of it, and they're not going to care unless Barkley isn't there week one, which obviously hurts their their chances of, of winning games. I'm, I'm just curious if you agree with me or, or how you feel about that. Well, I don't have a feel for the locker room, but I think these these holdouts during training camp have become common enough in the NFL that that probably it won't be a big deal for the next 
couple of months. Uh, I'll be interested as we go through training camp, hearing about anything that suggests otherwise and getting any hints from, from Giants players that they're maybe ticked off at the way uh, things went. I mean, I'm guessing, I'm guessing that if the players had to take anyone's side, they would take Saquon's side on, on this. And uh, I'll be interested to see whether anything like that shows up. But I, I think I kind of agree that, that it's probably not going to, to reach an interesting point until you're, you're a week before the beginning of the regular season. And you don't know whether he's going to show up for game one or not. Yeah, I, I was talking to Ralph Facciano the other day, and he and I kind of agreed on that. The players aren't going to care until Saquon starts hurting them. And the only way he hurts them is if he doesn't show up to play in the regular season. So I think that's I think that's when the players will care because, because they they want to win games. Yeah. And and the flip side of that during training camp, since he won't be there, is what does the Giants offense look like without him? And you can only tell a limited amount of that, I guess, in in preseason. But uh, but, you know, will the Giants look like they can put together a passable running game in his absence? And in that regard, really, I think the the I mean, we kind of know who Matt Breida is and we know who Gary Brightwell is we don't know yet who Eric Gray is and and he's kind of the interesting subplot in all of this because let's let's imagine that that Saquon does not show up for for week one then then the Giants going to have to have some kind of running back by committee and maybe Eric Gray will have a much more prominent role than most of us imagined he would he would have this year and what is he going to look like on an NFL field and how much do we think he can contribute and, and and so on so I think that will be an interesting subplot of of training camp is getting a feel for whether Eric Gray is NFL ready and if he's NFL ready how much of a workload could he could he take splitting let's say time with with Rita and so on so that's that's the one thing that I think will be kind of intriguing regarding the running game yeah the one thing that before we completely move off Barkley, I keep getting asked in the mailbag and online and, and all over the place, what are the Giants going to do to replace Saquon Barkley? Are they going to are they going to go out and try to sign Dalvin Cook or try to sign Kareem Hunt or try to sign another veteran, you know, right here as as training camp starts? And and in my view, you know, people just need to relax. They're the Giants aren't going to and have no need to run out and do anything right now. If it gets to a point at the end of training camp, when running backs are getting cut, when there's guys available, if it gets to a point where they don't think Saquon's going to play, where he says he's not going to play, then maybe you go out and you look to supplement that running back room. But I just don't see it. I don't see it right now. I don't see a need for it because I, I, I really think that, that there's, a very infinitesimal chance that Saquon Barkley does not play during the regular season. He, he accomplishes really nothing by sitting out regular season games. So I just don't see it. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking more long-term for the giants when, uh, when I'm thinking about my curiosity about what things look like during training camp, because although I agree with you that, that, that Saquon almost certainly show up to play 
the regular season. I think now there are legitimate questions about whether he'll be a giant in 2024, whether they'll use the tag on him a second time or, or, you know, what, what will happen. And, you know, we know, we know the histories of Brian Dable and Mike Kafka, and they both kind of come from places where the running back, the running game is kind of de-emphasized, right? In, in Buffalo, uh, Dable started out as offensive coordinator with a, with a heavy running game while Josh Allen was getting his sea legs. But once Josh Allen broke out in 2020, you know, he really started to de-emphasize uh, the running game in Buffalo. Mike Kafka comes from a place that the running game is, has been de-emphasized for quite a number of years. But of course, when you have Patrick Mahomes at quarterback and Travis Kelsey out there and Tyreek Hill for a time, no wonder you de-emphasize the running game. Uh, nonetheless, both of those coaches are coming from places where the running back wasn't wasn't front and center. And so I'm wondering whether we'll just start to see a little bit more of those Buffalo style, Kansas City style philosophies and how the Giants design their offense. Well, the other part of that is that Joe Shane comes from a general manager tree and a philosophy where you don't draft running backs in the first round. You don't pay running backs huge contracts. So you know, he's, he's been handed this Barkley situation and you do what you think is right with it, but I don't think his philosophy is to build around the running back. So you're right. It will be interesting to watch uh, Eric Gray and, and maybe Gary Brightwell and, and, and see what the giants have in those guys and see how they have to supplement the position, you know, maybe going into 2024, but but I still, I'll believe that Barkley will sit out regular season games when I see it. Yeah, I, and I'm personally interested in 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 watching Eric Gray. Uh, I think he has talent, and he's you know he's definitely an NFL running back. And I'm just curious as to how good an NFL running back he can be. Not Saquon level, no. He's not he's not that that good a back. But he does have some skill. He's very elusive. Uh, and, uh, uh, he's, uh, he's a good pass catcher. I mean, nothing but an outlet type pass catcher, but he's, he's good in the passing game as well. And again, a running back who's good in the passing game, I think is something that, that can be an asset in a, in a Dable Kafka type of offense. So I'm very curious to see what he looks like in action and how they decide to, to use him when he's in games. Tony, let's move on to some other potential storylines in training camp and I think that one of the big ones for Giants fans is the offensive line specifically as it relates to Evan Neal and it relates to uh, John Michael Schmitz obviously the Giants need Evan Neal to be better than he was a, a year ago they need John Michael Schmitz to be able to step in and be at least a competent starting center right away I think two things. I think that it, it's unfair to expect Evan Neal to make the Andrew Thomas type leap, basically from, from pretty much worst left tackle as a rookie to one of the best in the league in his second year. But I do think it's fair to expect Evan Neal to, to play as a competent, at least league average right tackle show you that his career arc is moving in the right direction and that the Giants didn't make a mistake in, in making him the seventh overall pick. In terms of John Michael Schmitz, I was uh, 
I was actually looking at this uh, a little bit earlier. There are a lot of examples of centers in recent years starting as rookies and playing well. So I think the Giants are hoping that that happens. We don't know for sure that it will happen. But recent trends tell us that that you can get good play out of rookie starting centers. And, and, and I do think that watching those two players in particular is going to be very, very interesting over the next few weeks as, as training camp and the preseason unfold. Yeah. I don't, I don't think Evan Neal has to become an all pro or even a pro bowl uh, level player. In fact, it might be better for the giants if he doesn't, since Andrew Thomas is basically at that level now, even though he only made second team all pro, but still, uh, you know, we know, we know that, that Andrew Thomas uh, is going to be making a lot of money over the next few years. And there's only so many guys on your offensive line that you can pay top drawer salaries to in a salary capped league. And so actually an ideal situation might be for the giants to have Evan Neal turn out to be a, you know, good better than average offensive lineman, a capable offensive lineman so that, so that Jones doesn't have to immediately look to his right every time he drops back to pass to see if, if the edge rusher is already on top of him and uh, something that at least makes Jones comfortable enough that, that, that you know, he can operate in the pocket. And so if Evan Neal just becomes a good solid right tackle, that would be, I think, just fine for the giants. And, and as far as John Michael Schmitz goes, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, you, you said it right. Yes. You know, I think center, while it has its own challenges, uh, it's it's an easier position to play than the tackle positions. And I think your chances of getting someone there who can perform capably are probably a lot better. And so I think I'll be pretty disappointed if Schmitz doesn't turn out to be at least a capable player there. And yeah, you'd really like to see three-fifths of the Giants' offensive line solidify in this coming season and hope that the two guard positions can, can at least be adequate. And we kind of already know kind of who who Glowinski is. I think we know what we're going to get from him. That really leaves left guard as the question. Yeah, I, I, I think they're fine at guard. I think between Ben Bredesen and Josh Azudu, I think they'll be okay on the left side. I don't know which one of those guys will emerge eventually, but I think they'll be okay over there. Training camp-wise, offensive line coach Bobby Johnson mentioned this, I think, during mandatory minicamp. He's really looking forward to it. I know I hope I'm there the day that it happens, but I think everybody's going to stop and pay attention the first time John Michael Schmitz and Dexter Lawrence line up in a one-on-one drill or line up in any sort of 11-on-11 with full pads on. Because I I would think that the Giants coaches are going to tell Dexter, you're not going to give, you know, your absolute best if you're Dexter Lawrence every single play in training camp. You're not going to leave it all on the table every single play. But I think the Giants coaching staff is likely to tell Dexter to make sure he gives John Michael Schmitz at least a few reps of of the best of Dexter Lawrence. And it'll be interesting to see how he handles that. Yeah, I, I agree. And and the Giants have overall beefed up the interior of their defensive line as well. And so, uh, you know, they had trouble. They The Giants offensive line had trouble handling uh, last year's 
defensive line, uh, you know, what's it going to be like uh, this year with with reinforcements coming in in the in the interior? And so uh, it, that's a good thing for the offensive line to to have to go up every every day and practice against a a very capable defensive line. It can only can only help them when they go into the season and start start have to dealing with deal with the re, uh, the real deal. Uh, but yeah, you sort of hope that that this year you won't see the jailbreaks that that they saw last year in training <laughs> camp. Now I don't know whether it's that you can probably only pull the thing once that they pulled last year where where uh, Dable told Wink uh, all the plays that, that they were going to run so that uh, Wink could run a defense that would that would beat the uh, offense to see how Daniel Jones would handle that. You can probably only play that once. Uh, but I'm curious how, in general, the offensive line will hold up against the Giants' defensive line. Since, since you know, I think the one question mark we don't have this year in training camp is, is whether the defensive line is in good shape. Absolutely. All right, you know, another storyline here that I have jotted down in my notebook that that I'm interested in is really and I'm looking at this in general as the defensive backfield cornerback and safety and there's a lot of things to to look at in terms of storylines there there's what does Tay Banks look like who really looks like or who really grabs the the slot cornerback role by the throat how does it look like the Giants are going to uh, to handle the safety position next to Xavier McKinney? There's a lot of options there. And, and to be honest with you, on top of all of that, I think this is a huge season for Xavier McKinney. I was actually just writing something today about McKinney. And the reality of it is, over three seasons I think Xavier McKinney's reputation is bigger than his play. I think in three seasons, I think he's had one impactful year. He had a rookie season where he played six games. He had the the Cabo mess last year. And to be honest with you, he really wasn't a truly impactful player in the, in the, the first half of the season before that. So I think that if Xavier McKinney wants to be a giant again in 2024, Xavier McKinney needs to put the pedal to the metal and and have a big 2023 season. So I just think as you look into training camp, there's just, there's, there's just a lot of interesting things to look at in the defensive backfield. Well, I I couldn't agree more. Uh, I just submitted a, a story this morning. And one of the things that I asked about in that story is, what is the Giants defensive backfield going to look like in 2024? There is tremendous uncertainty across the board in who's going to be on the team in the defensive backfield, who the starters are going to be, and so on. You certainly hope that Deontay Banks is, is a cornerstone of that defensive backfield. But as you say, we don't really know whether McKinney's going to be a Giant next year. Um the, the one thing I would add to your statement about McKinney, about his reputation, is that I think McKinney's reputation is mostly in his own head and the head of his agent, uh, because I gather they're looking for a big deal next year, and I gather that McKinney sees himself as one of the best safeties in the NFL. I'm not sure the rest of the league sees it that way, and as you say, his 2022 season, the part that he managed to play, was mediocre at best. On the other hand, you saw when he did come back, 
he made the key play of the game against Minnesota to stop TJ Hawkinson short of the first down marker on fourth and eight to, to clinch that game for the Giants. And we know from his 2021 season that the skill is there. Uh, the question really I have is, is, is he actually going to step up and, and play like the first safety who was drafted in that draft? That, there were, I think, five safeties drafted in the second round of that, of that draft in, I guess it was 2020. And uh, he was the first one off the board, but Antoine Winfield Jr. And, uh, has, has outperformed him. Jeremy Chin has outperformed him. Uh, you know, maybe even Kyle Duggar, but let's just say Winfield and, and Chin. He's at best the third best safety in that group right now. And I think he was expected to, to be the, 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 the best or tied for the best maybe with Winfield. He's got to show that more on the field this year. Absolutely. It's a big year, big year for McKinney and, uh, you know, his future with the Giants and, and his ability to get that big contract that we were we were talking about a little bit. Tony, another storyline that I have written down is the the inside linebacker competition that, of course, next to Bobby Okereke. We know that uh, the Giants have already lost veteran linebacker Jared Davis, and whether whether you consider that to be a big loss or not, it's a guy that the Giants were counting on having on the roster, was going to have some type of a role. He's an experienced player. Now you're looking at Micah McFadden. You're looking at Darian Beavers. There's a couple of undrafted free agents who might fit in there. Maybe the Giants look to supplement the roster at inside linebacker as as we get closer to the season. I tend to look at the inside linebacker spot next to uh, next to Bobby Okereke and think it's Darren Beavers' job if he shows what he showed a year ago, Wink Martindale was Wink Martindale was very, very happy, said it just looks different when you watch Beavers play, you know, versus some of the other guys the Giants had. I think it's Beavers job if he shows that he's that he hasn't you know, lost anything you know, after the, the knee injury a year ago. Yeah, well, well, when I think about the Giants defense and whether it can be a good defense in 2023 uh really two questions come up and these are aside from from questions about health i mean the giants have have you know legitimate questions about their their depth at the at the edge defender position you know beyond the the two starters but forgetting about depth and the, and the possible effect of injuries just in terms of you know what's the starting lineup you're going to put out there uh week one let's say all right and and how good a defense can that be if if it holds up during the season, then to me, the two big questions for the Giants are who's the slot cornerback going to be going to be actually who's, you know, well, yeah, who's the slot cornerback going to be and who's linebacker two, well, full linebacker two going to be. And I agree with you that Darian Beavers probably, you know, has, has the inside track on that position. I think a lot of, People were kind of surprised uh, last year that Beavers lasted that long in the draft. He had a, a better reputation than, than where he was chosen in the sixth round. And I think a lot of people looked at the Giants drafting McFadden first and then waiting a, a round later and then taking Beavers and wondered, 
you know, why did they do it in that order? Why didn't they take Beavers first? Beavers, I'm not saying Beavers was one of the top linebackers in the draft, but he was seen as a very capable linebacker who probably had an NFL future to him. And so given the way he performed in training camp last season, and as you say, the nice things that, that, that Wink Martindale had to say about him, I'm, I'm actually hopeful that he's fully recovered from his ACL and that he can get back to playing the way he was uh, before the injury in, in training camp. And if he can actually kind of, you know, just take over that second linebacker position, then I think that goes a long, long way toward making the Giants an effective defensive team in 2023. You're right. And I think one of the things that Joe Shane said this offseason was that entering this draft cycle, entering this free agency cycle, he was much more comfortable in knowing the kinds of players that Wink Martindale wanted on defense, the kinds of uh, the kinds of athletes he wanted. He, he didn't outright admit maybe making some mistakes in judgment and some of the players that he brought in a year ago. What he said was, you know, Wink runs a three, four Wink runs a more aggressive defense than, than what he had been used to scouting for. And, and that's a change that that changes the type of athletes you're looking for. And he said both he and the scouting staff were much more comfortable, much more in tune with Wink this time around. So maybe that's part of why they drafted a guy like McFadden ahead of a guy like Beavers a year ago, because I, I look at Micah McFadden and I like Micah McFadden. I've had a number of conversations with McFadden in the locker room last year He's a, he's a he's a good guy. Uh, he and Beavers happen to be really good friends. But I I look at McFadden and and he's kind of he's he doesn't look like the athlete to me, the explosive sort of athletic guy that Wink might really want, mm-hmm. you know, on defense in there. So I I wonder if maybe Joe is talking about a guy like McFadden when he says maybe we didn't get Wink the right players a year ago. Right. Right, right, yeah. That having been said, I gather that Wink had good things to say about McFadden from from oh, OTAs and, and stuff, and so uh, no and so coach. No, I always no, have to, yeah. I was going to say no coach is ever going to say anything bad about a player during OTAs, right. Tony. Right, right, yeah, yeah. But I but I always have to remind myself that not everyone is a fully developed player as a rookie, and so you you, know, you have to you have to give them time. I mean, the best case situation for the Giants would be that both Beavers and McFadden look good. And, uh, you know, and then the Giants have that position solved next to O'Karaki. And, uh, you know, if not, the well, they can always go into Pokemon as a career. <laughs> yes, the Blake Martinez Pokemon reference. There you go. Mm-hmm. The man is that man is making millions and millions of dollars off Pokemon cards. And he doesn't have 310, 320 pound linemen trying to hit him in the head. Yeah, yeah. So, take so good for good for good for him. Good for him. You know, I wanted to get into a little bit. You mentioned slot cornerback, and I don't know who the slot cornerback is going to be, but right here, a few days before we start training camp, I'm going to put my marker down and I'm going to tell you who it's not going to be, and I'm going to tell you who's not going to be on the 53 man roster, and that's Darnay Holmes. I just don't see it. I think that Darnay Holmes is going to be a victim of Saquon Barkley not getting a long-term contract. 
what what the deal is. I think the Giants, I don't have it in front of me, but I think they have about $3.8 million in salary cap space. They were counting on being able to get a long-term deal with Saquon, which would enable them to not only get Saquon for the next couple of years, but part of that long-term deal would drive his cap hit down for 2023 from the, the franchise tag, 10 million and change to maybe half of that. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not going to make it through the season with $3 million and change. You're just not, they have to get that money from somewhere. And the Giants have a lot of options in the slot. Bobby McCain, the veteran safety, can play in the slot. McKinney has played in the slot. Nick McLeod can play in the slot. Jason Pinnock can play in the slot. Cordell Flott and Aaron Robinson can play in the slot. All of these guys have some manner of, of slot experience. And Wink Martindale loves to mix and match. To be honest, the only thing Darnay Holmes can do at the NFL level aside from occasionally returning a punt is, is play in the slot. He and the giants can save $2.7 million with no dead cap. If they release Darnay Holmes, I don't think they're going to do it tomorrow. I don't think they're going to do it before training camp starts. I think they're going to look at the players that they have. And if they're satisfied that they can handle the slot without Darnay Holmes, I think, and, and I think they will be able to do that. I just don't see how they don't cut Darnay Holmes because they've got to have some extra money. They've got to have that, that little bit of cap space. Yeah. I, I agree with, with that statement from the financial standpoint and, uh, and also Darnay Holmes, you know, is, is pretty decent in zone as a cornerback, but he's not good in man coverage. And we know that Wink wants to play a lot of, man coverage and so in some ways he's ill-suited to the type of defense that that martindale plays and so uh, you know i think he's i mean he i you know i again i i I like darnay holmes you know but but i don't i just i don't see him as as being someone who can really do the job in the type of defense the giants want to run speaking of of darnay holmes and training camp and 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 all of that I think back to, you know, you had talked about pretty much Brian Dayball kind of letting Wink Martindale know what plays were coming and and all of that during training camp last year. And I think back to the first few days of training camp last year and Darnay Holmes picked off Daniel Jones multiple times. And, And it reminds me now as I look back on it that while we see the end result of plays in training camp, we're sitting there on the sideline watching these plays, you know, those of us that are fortunate enough to have credentials to be there. And we see the end result of these plays and we report, Oh, Daniel Jones threw an interception or he threw two interceptions and Darnay Holmes has four interceptions in four practices. Well, we come to find out that Darnay Holmes was intercepting all of those passes because Wink Martindale was telling him exactly what the plays were that were coming from Daniel Jones. And he was telling Darnay Holmes where the ball was going. So Darnay Holmes knew exactly where the ball was going to be thrown before Daniel Jones threw it. And that's why, because they were making life miserable for Jones is basically what they were doing. It wasn't that Darnay Holmes had suddenly morphed into an all pro cornerback. Mm -hmm. So 
you it, it just reminds me that you very very often have to take what you see in training camp and what you read and what you hear about so and so is having a great camp and so and so is having a lousy camp you have to take it all with a grain of salt because you don't know what goes into the behind the scenes planning of how things play out during a during a training camp practice yeah and probably i guess there's more to be learned from just watching training camp evolve and and who's who as training camp goes on is getting more first team reps and you know and who seems to be more buried on the depth chart uh in terms of, of play and, and things like that and maybe that's that's a better indicator of what the coaches are really thinking about things I also learned something very valuable during last year's training camp. And, and I won't tell you who, who kind of leaned over and whispered this in my ear. Uh, but I remember watching Jeremiah Hall last year during training camp, undrafted tight end slash fullback out of Oklahoma, who sitting on the sidelines, all the media, we're all going crazy thinking Jeremiah Hall's going to make this team for looking at him the first couple of weeks of, of training camp because he was getting a lot of first team reps. Mm. He was getting reps at fullback. He was getting a lot of run, you know, with the tight end group. He was getting a lot of time on the field. And, and, and we get talking about that one day and somebody leaned over to me and said, you know, oh, one of the reasons a lot of these undrafted guys and guys you might not think are that you might think are long shots to make the team one of the reasons they get a lot of run early in training camp is to rule them out is for the coaching staff to confirm what they think this player can't do. Yeah. Lo and behold, very shortly after I had had that conversation with someone, Jeremiah Hall got cut. Mm-hmm. So, so again, take everything that you see with a little bit of a grain of salt when it comes to training camp, because you just don't know, a hundred percent of what's behind the planning, what's behind the reasoning for what, for, for what you see. And there's no way that even those of us who are on the sideline watching are going to know either. Cause Brian Dable's not going to tell us. Mm-hmm. Tony, the last thing I had on my list is the wide receiver depth chart slash the development of the passing attack. I think it's going to be very interesting to see, how the Giants passing attack, which we know was very conservative for most of last year, how it evolves with Darren Waller, how it evolves with Isaiah Hodgins there from the beginning, how Paris Campbell fits in, how Jalen Hyatt fits in, what the Giants are able to get out of Sterling Shepard. You know, how soon is Wandale Robinson going to be available to, to play? There's there's just a, a lot of variables so I'm going to be very curious how the how that all shakes out and what the passing attack looks like as the year unfolds. Yeah, and and the Giants naturally have a have a really interesting wide receiver room, and it's it's very much unlike a lot of the top teams in the NFL in that they don't have that one alpha wide receiver. They have they have the alpha guy at tight end mm-hmm. uh, that you might think of as 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 halfway towards being a wide receiver. Uh, for them, if not more than halfway. Uh, in, well, in since when does a tight end wear 12? That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, come on. Since when does a tight end wear 12? 
<laughs> it looks just like uh, Steve Smith, right? Didn't Steve Smith wear 12? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, you yeah, know, so, so that I think though the, the thing about the Giants wide receiver room right now is that it does look like it's very deep. So, you know, so it, it's not like a lot of rooms in that they, they had maybe half a dozen guys. I mean, you, you know, you, you can ask the question, how many wide receivers are they actually going to keep on the 53 going into the season? Uh, but let's just say six for argument's sake might not be that. But let's say they keep six. Well, if they keep six, you could argue that any one of those six guys could be getting getting a lot of looks at any one time uh, because they because they're they're number five and number six guys are are pretty talented uh receivers as far as i can see and so uh yeah they they may not have that that real go-to guy other than other than waller i mean unless unless jalen hyatt breaks out much more quickly than most people expect him to i think most people expect that there's going to be a learning curve for jalen hyatt and he's not gonna you know he's not gonna he's not gonna pull a jamar chase on game game one of the of the season and just start catching a touchdown every every week or anything like that so i'm assuming that 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 he's not going to burst onto the scene right right away as a giant but i assume he'll start to get his his chances. And then as you say, you've got Paris Campbell and you've got Sterling Shepard. Eventually you'll have Wandale Robinson. You've got I- Isaiah Hodgins who. And, and we can't, we can't forget that slate. We can't forget the and, Slayton guy right, either. And then, right, and then you have Darius Slayton who, who has been the giants leading receiver in yards in three of his four seasons as a pro. Which is crazy to think about. I mean, it, it's not a, it's not an incredibly impressive yardage total but that speaks more to the giants passing attack than it does that then it's any sort of a knock on darius slayton the the fact is he has led them in yardage three out of the four years yeah and and he does good things for him it's just that with darius slayton you have to take the bad with the good and you know that darius slayton is going to drop some passes and he's going to drive you crazy when he drops them, like the one he dropped at the end of the Minnesota game that would have wrapped that game up. <laughs> and you're going to, how could he possibly drop that? Yeah, but Darius Layton also makes a lot of nice catches for the Giants. And, mm-hmm. and he right now is their biggest established deep threat until, you know, Darren Waller shows, you know, that he can have that kind of chemistry with Daniel Jones, at, at least. And until Jalen Wyatt uh, uh, develops the way we hope he'll develop. But right now, you know, yeah, uh, Darius Slayton is is the deep guy, and and sometimes he's very good at it. Mm-hmm. Daniel Jones liked throwing deep to him his first couple of years in the NFL. Absolutely, Tony. Is there anything in terms of storyline that that I haven't mentioned? You know that that you're uh, really interested in over the next uh, over the next few weeks. Well, not anything that I'm interested in as much as as the things that that we've already discussed. But I do think that there are questions going into the season about the edge defender group. And you know, in particular, is Ellerson Smith going to, to show up and be healthy and prove that, that he can play? Uh, no. I'm very, I'm very no. comfortable, <laughs> no. I'm very comfortable <laughs> with... With Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari as as the two uh, starting edge rushers, in fact, I think they have the potential to become one of the one of the best pairs of ed, edge rushers in the NFL. But you need that third guy, and you know I, I love Jihad Ward, but Jihad Ward only gives you so much. 
Uh, O'Shane Simenes is a guy I've, I've rooted for to succeed, but but he hasn't. He's had his chances and hasn't really been able to do it. Uh, I wish they'd kept Quincy Roche, but apparently this regime didn't think that Quincy Roche was the type of edge defender that they wanted in this type of defense. And so, you know, that leaves Ellison Smith, since they didn't draft one, unless uh, the undrafted free agent guy, Habakkuk Baldonado, uh, turns out to be something more than, than, than we imagine. And, you know, I would love to see Ellison Smith go in and, and make a, a, a claim for that, that backup edge defender role so that they have more than two guys they feel they can trust. Because if one of Thibodeau and Ojolari goes down, the Giants don't really have, uh, Giants really don't have a, another alternative at edge that, that is going to be that effective. No, absolutely. And I don't want to pick on Ellerson Smith. I've had the opportunity to talk to him a few times he is he is a nice, nice young man. He's absolutely massive and six foot six, six foot seven. And, and and you know, it's hard for me to talk to him because every year I get shorter. <laughs> I keep getting shorter and I keep having to look up higher and higher to to, to talk to Ellerson Smith. But yeah, but he's he's a nice kid. Um and I do hope that that he steps forward. It's just it's hard to be optimistic about that. I think the Giants are going to end up, you know, maybe having to supplement that group, you yeah. know, from from somebody that gets uh, somebody that gets let go. Yeah, and you know, and realistically, I think this is Ellerson Smith's last chance. I think there's a few more guys on the team that it's their last chance. Uh, uh, you have Shane Lemieux, who's and you know, is another guy who's kept hanging on uh but has never established himself and he's been hurt so much that that we've never really gotten a chance to see whether he's improved since his rookie year i think this is his last chance to to stick with the team i think matt Pert is another guy that i'm curious to see will he will he kind of take a step forward this year and win that backup offensive tackle job uh and if and if not i think this is his last year with the team. And I think there's a couple, you know, probably a couple other guys like that, that I'm, that I'm forgetting about that, that have this, this one chance now and who may not be there come beginning of September. Absolutely. Tony. All right. Just a a couple more days, Giants fans, and we will be uh, underway with training camp. I will be out there for at least the first couple of days. I'll be out there as much as I can. It's a, it's a weird year for training camp this year because after two weeks, the Giants will spend a week in uh, in Detroit, and uh, obviously, I'm not going to Detroit, so um, so you know we'll be away from them a little bit during training camp. But it seems like a really compressed camp this year when you uh, when you consider that uh, that they'll be in Detroit for for a week of uh, for a week of practice as well. But anyway, we'll be out there as much as we can. We'll be giving you coverage every single day, news analysis, updates, features, anything and everything that you need for uh, for Giants coverage. We'll be giving it to you. So uh, hopefully you'll uh, hopefully you'll continue to follow our coverage. So, Tony, thank you for for hopping on on short notice. I know I kind of hit you with that one at the last minute. (laughs) My pleasure, Ed. All right. Hey, we always like we always like getting you on and chatting football with you. You know, this we, we should rename 
this segment just two old guys talking Giants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Giants fans, thank you as always for listening. Please remember to stay safe out there, take care of each other, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.